to Pedersen. Lewis on that. Besser scores! Brock Besser has his sixth career hat trick, and he ties the game for the Canucks. They were down 4 to 1 at the start of the third period, and it's 4 4. I'm just happy for him. You know, he's uh, he worked hard this summer, and just, you know, top 30 goals in, you know, like I said, 50 games. That's. That's a hell of a, you know, he's not done. That's the thing. You know, he, he knows that uh, there's a lot of hockey left. 7.05 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer. Today we are in Hour 2 of the program. Hour 2 is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime is full flavor without compromise. You can find it at a liquor store near you, or you can visit the brewery to see how it's made. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech. Okay, I thought we weren't doing accents. That wasn't. That was just me being excited. Oh. It's Kintech. (laughs) Okay, uh, coming back from break, we heard Brock Besser, the hat trick on the weekend, plus an assist on Elias Pettersson's game-winning goal in overtime. But Don't forget with, the assist. We, I didn't. Yeah. With the hat trick, uh, Brock Besser hits the 30-goal plateau. Kudos to him. If you go atop the NHL's goal-scoring leaderboard, uh, he is now tied for sixth in the NHL with 30 goals alongside Artemi Panarin and Zach Hyman. Uh, the guys that Brock Besser has more goals than this year include Miko Rantanen, Sidney Crosby, Brad Marchand, ha. William Nylander, Leon Dreisaitl, Chris Kreider. What a year for Brock Besser. Fantastic. He's, and I know no one cares about plus minus anymore, but I still do. <laughs> plus 20 this year. It's pretty damn good. At a kid, Brock. I'm happy for him. Uh, let's go into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Butis of Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, unsigned text here. Toffoli can score, yes, but he is slow and doesn't add anything else to the team. Lindholm, on the other hand, wins face-offs, plays two positions, and can shut down slash PK. Uh, I also think that Lindholm's offensive numbers are down in Calgary just because of, of who he's playing with. Scored his first goal in 16 games. Yeah, no, I know, but you I'm know, gonna be, I agree with you. He's a better player than what he's shown. He's he's a much better player than what he's shown. Now I don't know if he's as good offensively as he was a couple of years ago when he was on that line with uh, Goudreau and and Kachuk, but he was on that line and put up some impressive point totals. And I also think he is. Um, a two-way player that could add value to the team. The question is just like, how does the timing all go down on this? Um, when is Craig Conroy finally going to wave the white flag and start selling off some assets? Um, Jason texts in, and Jason reads this, uh, Kuzmenko has a limited no trade, no trade clause that I would assume Chicago is on. Do you have to sell him on backpacking off Bedard, or do you think he waves because his Canucks tenure is a dead-end road? Okay, according to Cap Friendly, Kuzmenko has a 12-team t- no-trade list. I wouldn't just assume that Chicago's on it. I mean, Chicago is a great city. Um, some people might love to move to Chicago and get the opportunity that is going to be with the Chicago Blackhawks, and that is all the opportunity in the world. Mm-hmm. 
Like you immediately become a first line player, whether you're playing well or not, whether you're forechecking or not, you know, they don't have the same demands in Chicago that you do in Vancouver under Rick Tockett. At this point, they just need anyone to score goals because like what what's happening in Chicago right now, um, like how many times, how many goals have they scored in their last five games? They've like scored, two. They've scored six goals in their last six games, and so they've been shut out in four of their last six. As a matter of fact, four of their goals came in a single game against the New York Islanders. Right. So they've been shut out four times in their speaking, last six. Games. Speaking of teams, when you wonder if they're going to wave the white flag. Well, I say, you know what? We should probably reset this. They're like, why are they talking about Chicago and Andre Kuzmenko? Uh, over the most recent thirty-two thoughts, our favorite podcast, not named Halford and Bruff. Uh, Fridge dropped this nugget. Is Laddie in it? Is, oh, he's not. Is he? Do you? Can you jump over there? Andy, look at Andy Cole doing two jobs at once as we line up this audio. So this is hot audio courtesy of Freege and Merrick from the 32 Thoughts podcast. Now, Freege puts this out there as sort of a speculative note, but I wonder if there's something behind it. I wonder if, and noted NHL insider Elliot Friedman has a little bit more information at the ready. Uh, This is Elliot Friedman from the most recent 32 Thoughts podcast talking about Andre Kuzmenko. And the Chicago Blackhawks. By the way, Chicago, since we mentioned Chicago, mm-hmm. yep, that's a team, if I was them, I'd be looking at Kuzmenko. It's funny, too, because I always think Kuzmenko, if they're going to move off of him in Vancouver, he's going to end up with the Islanders. I thought Nashville for a while, but Chicago, mm-hmm. like they, they cannot score. And Chicago's in a situation now where they're signing guys as long as they don't last longer than two years, and he's got only one more year. Yeah, like that, you know, but like they are—they're tough to watch without Bedard there. Um, they play hard. I'm not going to knock it. They—they they do play hard, but they—they, they, you know, Markstrom was having a game on Saturday night. They could have given them 40 breakaways, and they weren't going to score For on sure. him. Um, yeah. But you know. You got to entertain. You got to try to score some goals. Kuzmenko is a guy I'd be looking at if I was if I was the Blackhawks. And they've already done a deal for Beauvillier, right? So uh, it's it, you yeah. know th- th- those guys can deal with each other. So what I'm looking at here is a team in Chicago that's so bereft of talent that someone made a call and they're like, "You guys can't keep doing this. But you can be bad." And you can try and tank, but not like this. You can't stink this bad. Maybe it was Gary Bettman. Who can't knows? be this boring. <laughs> well, you can't. And I guess there is something to be said for what you're doing. Because they do have young players there, Korchinski and a couple other guys, who are going to be part of this moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I guess the idea is you can set a low bar, but not this low. You can't go. They just went through Alberta and didn't score. They played the Oilers and the Flames on Thursday and Saturday and lost by an aggregate 4-0. Didn't score in Vancouver either. No. And they didn't score when they went to Buffalo uh, earlier in January, which kind of kicked off this streak of, we're not scoring any goals, like ever. And I guess... Well, if you look at their lineup, you're like, yep, that checks out. Yeah, and we've seen teams, you know, crater in the past. Um, and I, So I don't know... Uh, if this is something where it's like, well, we we just can't keep doing this because it's so bad. But you, you start kind of connecting the pieces here and you realize, hey, Vancouver's got a guy with some offensive upside that maybe wants to play in a or maybe would thrive in a less structured environment. 
And in Chicago, they'll throw structure out the window so long as you could score that beloved goal that they crave <laughs> so badly. So we'll see what happens on that front. Uh, Ryan texts in, have you guys been following Pod Colson at all? He has really stepped it up recently, and I think he is knocking down the proverbial door. Should he get a look prior to the deadline just to see what we have there? Thanks, love the show. Uh, thanks for the text, Ryan. I noticed that Pod Colson dropped the gloves the other day against a pretty tough customer yep. um, and hung in there. Um, he's obviously five points in his last two games. He's obviously hungry, uh, to get his chance. I imagine a lot of the guys down in Abbotsford are hungry and they're like, Oh, are you, are you guys going to get injured at some point? Because we'd like a chance. Um, he has 13 goals, 12 assists. So 25 points in 33 games for pod Colson. Yeah, sure. I, I, I'd like to, I, I, I'd love to see pod Colson get a look. Here's the issue. I don't think you bring him up to play with Petey. I don't think you bring him up to play on in the top six. And the bottom six is pretty settled right now, isn't it? I don't think Pod Colson's going to get a look this year. You don't? I think he could if there's an injury, for sure. For Me- sure. I don't see why not. Um, yeah. There's a lot of games left in the season. Yeah, but I would just as soon see Baines come up ahead of Pod sure. Colson, all yeah. due respect to the kid. Like, I think, again... If you listen to what management has spoken about, they like having guys honing their craft in the American League. Now, it works both ways. If you've got a guy that's honing his craft and is honing it quite well, the dangling carrot is uh, a a recall to the National Hockey League, right? I mean, it it can't just be, uh, you know, you're doing great. We love what you're doing. As a matter of fact, we, we love it so much that you've answered every single call that we've put out there that we're going to continue to keep you at this level like there has to be some sort of reward at the end of this but then you go back to the earlier assessment and it is hey you're doing great down here we're seeing the developments that we want out of you but this is a long-term thing keep going like Hoglander did last year right and that's what I'm saying I see this more as a as a they could have called up Hoglander last year Mm. there was nothing to play for did you see the lineup that Rick Tuckett inherited when he took over the Vancouver Canucks there were guys that had no business being uh, on a competing NHL team in that lineup. And you would say, well, why not bring Hoaglander up? Well, because they wanted him to work on the things that they wanted him to work on. And, and I that- think right now that process is continuing. You know, you hear all sorts of calls for Hoaglander to be on the power play and Hoaglander be, to be in the top six. No, he's thriving in the role that he's playing right now, which is 10, 11, 12 minutes a night on a fourth line. Just keep doing that. Now, that being said, it is then on Rutherford and Alvin to solve the problems that they have with Pedersen and who his line mates are, and I'm sure they're focused on that. Uh, Okay, so we've had a lot of Canucks talk, um, and we'll have a lot of Canucks talk later in the show. Randeep's going to join us at 8 o'clock so we can talk to Randeep about the Canucks and also all the Canucks heading out to Toronto for the All-Star festivities, uh, including the head coach, Rick Tockett. Randeep is also going to be in Toronto for the All-Star festivities. Um, so there will be lots more Canucks talk, including in what we learned in the final hour. I have some NFL questions. Ooh. So we've already discussed what was Dan Campbell thinking. Uh, and we kind of concluded that you can go in circles in that argument about what he was thinking. You can definitely second guess his decision making. 
But you can also conclude that that type of decision-making got the Detroit Lions all the way to the NFC title game, and that is pretty good for the Detroit Lions. My second question about that game is, is Brock Purdy the new Mr. Comeback? Okay. Which is not a question that I thought I'd be asking because I think what we saw, or I know what we saw earlier in the season during the regular season, is that when the 49ers were behind in a game and Brock Purdy was forced to, I don't want to say just manage the game because I don't think that's what he's been doing all season, but when he was forced into like obvious throwing situations, it didn't go as well. So And now in back-to-back playoff games, he's led his team to a come-from-behind victory, which I think is pretty impressive. So during this aforementioned regular season that you spoke of, you're right, Jason, because Brock Purdy was not credited with a single fourth-quarter comeback or game-winning drive during the regular season. Yeah. So there was no Mr. Comeback Brock Purdy in the regular season. And the playoffs happened. And the 49ers... And it's funny because they found themselves in the one position that all the pundits said, that's where you want to get the 49ers. Oh, man. If you're a Lions fan this morning, you're just waking up and going, we had them. Don't let the 49ers take control of the football game. And don't let the 49ers get out to a lead and then run the clock with Christian McCaffrey and let Brock Purdy make the safe, sensible throws and manage his team to victory. Now, I'll say this. Purdy was pretty dynamic in that second half against the Lions yesterday. How about running Brock Purdy? That was, a big, that was a big part of it as well. He made plays when he needed to make plays. 13 of 16 passes completed came after halftime. He finished with 267 passing yards. 126 of those came in the third quarter. So we're not talking about late-game heroics. We're talking about, okay, start of the second half. I need to start making plays, and he did it. 48 rushing yards, like you mentioned, did it with his feet. So 315 combined yards. Um, And I'll say this, it was impressive. I'll also say this, the biggest play that he had was a pass that should have been intercepted, doinked off uh, the opposition's helmet, and fell into the hands of Brandon Ayuk. They would have called the pass interference then. They wouldn't have picked up the flag. I think you're right. (laughs) So Point remains that it it, it, it was not a banner pass. No. From Brock Purdy, yeah, but you're 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 picking nits at that point. I think, I, and I was the biggest Brock Purdy skeptic mm-hmm. around uh, when he first burst onto the scene. I'm like, this, there's no way, there's no way that this is the guy. And as a matter of fact, I said this looks a lot like Jimmy Garoppolo 2.0 at times. He well, is, it still could if he loses in the Super Bowl. Yeah, see, I don't think so. I I'm not you know I'm not buying into the Purdy magic or anything like that. I think he is a genuinely good quarterback Mm -hmm. and I think the big thing that separates him from Garoppolo is he can make those plays he proved it yesterday I mean again take into it with with the 51 yard doink pass to Brandon Ayuk take that off the table he made a bunch of plays under duress now he took sacks and he took some red zone sacks as well but I'm not ready to call him the new Mr. Comeback but I think that he put it this way going into this Super Bowl he gives the 49ers a much better shot of winning than Jimmy Garoppolo did four years ago. Okay, I have another question, and it might annoy some people. Okay. How happy is the NFL and all their media partners and advertisers that Taylor Swift will be going to Vegas to watch the Super Bowl? You know, when they say the Super Bowl, can the Super Bowl get any bigger? <laughs> the answer is now yes. 
there are going to be so many people that have never watched a Super Bowl before tuning it into a Super Bowl. How many people in Baltimore are like, we never had a chance that game was rigged all along? Why didn't Travis Kelsey get, get called for taunting? And there was a pretty obvious hold uh, that yeah, and I was, uh, I think wasn't it was unlikely. called. I think it was unlikely. Yeah, not not the penalty call was likely the, <laughs> right. The tight end, like yeah, yeah. Um, now, okay, the taunt. Let's let's unpack all of this. Let's unfurl all of this because you, you you know all the yeah the conspiracy theories and memes that are going around right. that the NFL is rigged. Some people actually believe that stuff right. that so, the NFL is rigged. One conspiracy theories are inherently stupid. I'm sorry if you're hearing that right now and you don't like it. This isn't a conspiracy theory against conspiracy theories. Okay. Um, if you want to break down some of the instances in that game, and it did not help the optics that of all the guys doing the taunting that didn't get called for it, it just happened to be Taylor Swift's boyfriend. I mean, if <laughs> Travis Kelsey could have been called for taunting in that game, there's no doubt about it. Um, I had no problem with uh, Zay Flowers getting called for taunting when he did because he they gave him the first taunt. Yeah. But then he went for the second one. And that's maybe where the difference between him and Travis Kelsey was. But at the same time, all taunts should be created equal, I think. And there was a real discrepancy there. That being said, as we continue to unpack and unfurl, I have no time for anyone who supports the Baltimore Ravens saying that they got hard done by because they played some of the most brain-dead, undisciplined, football that I've seen in a game of that magnitude. This isn't week six against the Tennessee Titans. You are in the AFC championship game. You have one shot to go to the Super Bowl. How can you become that unglued that repetitively and that continuously? And it was your best players too, right? Like Lamar throwing that interception. Obviously he's in a position where he has to force the ball, but there's forcing the ball and then there's forcing the ball with a bad throw into triple coverage that results in an interception in the end zone when you absolutely had to come away with points on that drive. Like, that was the last thing you could do is turn the ball over. If you got a field goal, it wasn't the end of the world. The interception was, and Flowers, who had a terrific game going, right, makes multiple mistakes, including not protecting the football, when diving for the end zone, like, you know, that's so that's two instances really in the end zone where you're so close and you come away with nothing because because we already mentioned the Lamar Jackson pass into triple coverage, definitely forcing it. And just a it's just a bad throw, too. Um, and then also flowers like you understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to get the touchdown but at the same time you got to protect the ball in that situation and and listen credit the chiefs because yeah, no, yeah. no 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 yeah, no, no, no we I have know, to i know I we know, have to we have to credit the chiefs because this is not the same old chiefs they remind me a little bit of the tampa bay lightning in that they they find ways to win they they know how to win and i think it's pretty impressive that the chiefs have gotten back to this point because the DNA of the team has changed. The identity of the team has changed. The identity, you still got Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and, making and Andy, making big plays. And, and Andy Reid. And Andy Reid. But that team now, wouldn't you argue that if you're asking, like, what is the strength of the Chiefs? It might be the defense. Yeah, but it's Reid Mahomes. I mean, that's, look, 
We've talked about this before on the show, and we talk about modern dynasties in the National Football League and how it's difficult to keep the band together because there's free agency and a salary cap, and you know you you cut guys when they're old so you can bring in guys when they're young. But the, the reality of it is, is everybody now is searching for the head coach and the quarterback because it started didn't start, but the Belichick and Brady set the bar, and now you look at the next iteration of it, and it's. It's Mahomes and Reed. Yeah. They are going to their fourth Super Bowl in five years with a rotating cast of guys. How many teams could, like, the Tyreek Hill thing is amazing when you think about it because you could have made a case for a large chunks of the season that he was the most valuable football player in the National Football League. Mm-hmm. And they were able to withstand that departure, surround Patrick Mahomes with, let's be honest, uh, a bunch of cast-offs at wide receiver, and they're back in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And it, it is it is a pretty remarkable thing. And now you get this really intriguing matchup, a rematch in the Super Bowl, where you've got the two teams still there, and you've got one team that's kind of brought uh, their dynasty back, with Mahomes and Reed in particular. And then the 49ers are a, a totally different because they had Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. Then they went out and drafted and put a ton of capital uh, into Trey Lance to be the guy of the future. Yeah. And that didn't work out. And it's a seventh-round draft pick, Mr. Irrelevant, who's now the guy. Right. And you're saying, well, is Brock Purdy that much better than Jimmy Garoppolo? You get the greatest litmus test of all time now because four years later, they're on the same stage. When was the last time the Niners won the Super Bowl? Uh, you would have to go back to the 90s. of 94. Yeah. 94. It's been a long time, yet they've been there. Well, a few they, times they've had, had some kick, really good teams. Yeah. Well, Jim Harbaugh brought them there, mm-hmm. right? And you're looking at it and you're saying, is it going to be the time with this quarterback? Because that's what I mean, fair or not, that's what it was with this team, was when Jimmy Garoppolo kind of had that very um, uninspiring Super Bowl performance, mm-hmm. they made the decision to go in a different direction, right? And that was when they decided we're going to go with Lance and eventually go with Purdy. Uh, Mike Tannier is going to join us next to continue the NFL talk. Ran deep at 8 o'clock. We'll get back to the Canucks and the NHL story. Uh, we're halfway through the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have one more job's not finished, but I'm, I'm just I can't tell you guys how proud I am of, of the team. Seven thirty-three on a Monday, or is it Monday? You're listening to the House of the Breath Show on Sports at six fifty. Believe it or not, we got a few texts. Uh, into the Dunbar Lumber text line when Halford basically shut down all conspiracy theories. You know, this is a, this just it's not the place. I don't know what to tell you. We got so many things we need to get into. Don't have the bandwidth for JFK talk. Everything starts as a conspiracy theory. It's true. Michael. You know what? I take it back. I take it back. This could be Tuesday. <laughs> Who's to say? Until proven otherwise. Rocks are actually squishy living creatures, and they only took hard look hard uh, turn hard when you look at yeah. them. Yeah, that's Bur- a good one. Birds aren't real. Birds aren't real. Yeah. Birds aren't real. That's, yeah. a, that's a, everyone knows that one. Yeah, that'll placate the morons. Okay, let's go to the uh, <laughs> the business at hand here. That won't. <laughs> Albert and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealers today. We are in 
Uh, hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime is full flavor without compromise. You can find it at a liquor store near you or visit the brewery to see how it's made. To the phone lines we go. He joins us every Monday here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. He is our Monday morning quarterback from The Messenger. He is a presentation of the Clayton Public House. He is Mike Tannier here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. Isn't it Tuesday in, like, New Zealand or Australia or or Sunday or something like that? Oh, that's if you believe in, quote-unquote, time zones. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> I don't subscribe to those either. Uh, Mike, I was so Jason and I were reading uh, your latest on The Messenger this morning, and you were breaking down the AFC and NFC championships, and we couldn't help but notice you didn't spend a ton of time, you didn't use a ton of words, you didn't spill much ink talking about Dan Campbell's decision to go for it on fourth down yesterday, early in the third quarter, to put his team up by 17. Was that a conscious decision, or did you just kind of gloss over it? Did you not think it was a big deal? I'm curious about uh, why you went that route with your post game and not doing so much on the big decision from Dan Campbell. You know, it's weird. Years ago, I was told by editors, it's like you, you write about the winning teams. Like, yes. I, I was told that, like, in my formative years, and I've always stuck to that, you know. This should be the story of how the 49ers come back and triumph and what they did right, the story of what the Chiefs did right. And yet I've noticed, like, over the years, the talk the next day is always about the losing teams. It's always, it has always been about this. So, so that was a conscious decision. I was considering writing about it this morning. I haven't. But, yeah, it is definitely the talk on everyone's mind is what, whether or not Dan Campbell made the right choices on fourth down or late in that game. Did Dan Campbell make the right choice? You know, he didn't make this indefensibly, ridiculously foolish, wrong choice. I think, you know, we we can second guess, like, in this, like, really over-the-top way and say, stupid, foolish, et cetera. (laughs) The first fourth down, uh, you know, fourth and two, near the the end zone when they were up, I guess it was 24-10 at that point, that was totally defensible. It made sense. If you extend that game, they're moving the ball very well. You milk more clock. You maybe get a touchdown. You maybe get a shorter field goal. That made sense. Later on, when they're down three, when they're playing very poorly, particularly on offense, and it's fourth and three, and they've got to go in an empty backfield because on fourth and three, you know, running the ball really isn't an option. I guess they could have tried it. That's the one I question. You're playing poorly. Your team seems to be losing confidence. If you're watching the Lions at that point, you, the way they're playing suggests, you know, they're dropping passes. Goff is airmailing passes a little bit. They, they, need, they need to settle down. The field goal could have set, settled them down there. So I would have kicked that field goal, tied the game, and said, okay, ball's in your court, uh, 49ers. Even if you score, we have a chance to answer after we've settled down. I didn't particularly like that call. Uh, two back-to-back or back-to-back playoff comebacks for Brock Purdy, and that was a big question yeah. of whether or not he could get that done, especially since he didn't uh, during the regular season. What did you think about his performance? Well, it's, it's always exciting. Defenders like head <laughs> and land in your diving, somersaulting receivers arms. That's part of it. That, I'm being glib, of course, because you can take both sides of this. Like Purdy did a lot right during those later drives. You know, he, he's scrambling. He's making plays with his legs. He's, he's finding guys. He's distributing the ball. He does a lot of things right. He also has an interception ball bounce into his receiver's hands. He also has, you know, gets the ball, I guess it was on the 25-yard line or whatever, after a fumble. A lot of things go his way. So, you know, I look at this team right now and say, you know, Purdy is not a problem. If you're going to look at this and say, Purdy's going to be a problem, he keeps proving he's not a problem. Is he 
Mahomes? Is he Josh Allen? Is he Lamar Jackson? Come on, come on, let's get real. But is he? But, but is he better than Jimmy Garoppolo? Can he lead this team to sixty more minutes of football and a victory? Absolutely, he can. See, we're all about the the right narratives here and the fair narratives because we we talked about Brock Purdy's comeback prowess and I wanted to put it on a tee for you there and you astutely pointed out what he did and didn't do. Now, uh, with the Chiefs and the Ravens, we spent a lot of time talking about the Ravens becoming mentally unglued and taking all these stupid penalties and making mistakes. And then in the message, yeah. you wrote about the good part of this and the other side of the narrative, which is what Mahomes and Kelsey did. And I think, it, it, you know, to criticize ourselves, we didn't talk enough about this, but that was... Another terrific performance from two Hall of Famers getting the job done. We talked about with all the change that the, the Chiefs have had, the, two, the three constants have been Andy Reid, uh, Mahomes, and Kelsey. And Mahomes and Kelsey really did put on a show on Sunday. Right. And then you look at the records they broke or tied or whatever for playoffs where, you know, Kelsey has now more receptions in the playoffs than Jerry Rice. Think about that. Jerry Crazy. Rice played for 5,000 years. And, and Yeah, and, and has more ch- – touchdowns in AFC championship games than, than John Stallworth and all these other accolades there. And, you know, it's, it's tricky writing that up because I realized I'm going to write a, a, a article, a, a opinion column about how Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are good. Like, well, wow, wow, look at me. But you, you have to, like, contextualize a little more. It's like they're like Jordan and Pippen good. Like, you, you have to almost get out of football and go to these other sports and other, other places and say, this is the kind of thing that you're seeing, the kind of history you're seeing with those guys. But going back to your other point, yeah, I don't think too much about the Ravens penalties because, again, it's the fourth quarter, things are going well. Guys start losing their minds a little bit. That's bad. But this is a team that abandoned the run, that only handed off to running back six times the entire game, a game that was against the run. The, the Ravens' problems boil down to what a weird game plan against a team that has a very simple vulnerability that happens to match up with your strength, yet you just choose not to run the ball. Did they also lose their composure? Absolutely, they did. But you, the, the composure thing really kicks in when it's like it's 17-7 to 7 and you get the ball back. And, and, okay, Flowers makes that dumb penalty, that 20 penalty. All the stuff at the end of the game, I feel like, yeah, you – you know, you should have been playing better. You should, I mean, these dumb fouls that are giving first downs, et cetera, et cetera. Once you're down 17 to 7 at Mahomes at that point in the game, your chances of winning are pretty darn slim to begin with. Um, back to Travis Kelsey. How many more years do you think he's got in the NFL? He's, I think he's 34 now. And, you know, that's the age when even the greats start thinking about shutting it down. Oh, absolutely. You know, I saw an old takes exposed uh, where, you know, one of the, the TV, you know, Yammer guys was early in the year. Like, Kelsey looks done. Kelsey looks done. Kelsey looked like he lost a step mid-season, late season. He didn't look like he was slowing down a bit. Didn't see that. Didn't see that yesterday. And, of course, he was banged up during the course of the year. I, you know, I, I just pulled up Tony Gonzalez, and Tony Gonzalez played until he was 37 years of age mm-hmm. and caught 83 passes his final <laughs> season. So he played it like this pro bowl you know, key to the offense level until age 37. I see no reason why Travis Kelsey can't do the same thing. These are unique Hall of Fame level tight ends, so they don't follow the same rules as just as anybody else. Uh, we're speaking to Mike Tannier from The Messenger, our NFL insider here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, to what degree, Michael, should we hang Baltimore's loss yesterday on the shoulders of Lamar Jackson? Uh, a, a very tiny bit. I just talked about the game plan. When you're not going to support him if the run at all, his interception at the end—I mean, that's not a—that's not a very good throw. But you're stuck in this situation where you—you know—you threw a touchdown pass earlier, and the guy had a taunting penalty, or a near touchdown pass. The guy has a taunting penalty. Back it up. 
you throw another one to him and he fumbles at the one yard line. You have all these plays where, uh, you know, the things that he did successfully were left on the table. And then you got an interception and you got a fumble. And I hate, I hate the idea that we're going to keep moving the goalposts for Lamar Jackson as a leader, as a, as a successful quarterback and say, Oh, well, you won this game, but you didn't get winning as Patrick Mahomes when your entire team around you played poorly. You didn't do that. So you're not this guy. Who do you see as the favorite in the Super Bowl, Chiefs 49ers? I am leaning 49ers. I kind of joke at some point in, in, in uh, the walkthrough at the Messenger that it's uh, that it's like 53 against two. I mean, it's Mahomes and Kelsey. I mean, that's not true, but it's Mahomes and Kelsey against the entire juggernaut of the 49ers, <laughs> and, and that's reductive. That's reductive, but and you look at it that way. It's like, wow, that's like the two superheroes against a, an army of robots, and the superheroes always win. But right now, I see 49ers minus one. I would probably lean 49ers minus two, minus two and a half in, the, in that game. But it's close, uh, and it's and it's kind of similar to what we saw four years ago, except I'm almost certain the Chiefs were favored in that one. Yeah, well, you mentioned four years ago, and we've already talked about it. You can see the narratives being crafted over the next couple of weeks. And from the 49ers' perspective, it's going to be like they're back. And there's so many familiar faces, but there's the big one, the difference in quarterback where they went from Jimmy Garoppolo, game manager Jimmy, to Brock Purdy, who's mm-hmm. something more than that, but we're not quite sure yet. And I feel like this yeah. might just be a referendum of whether Brock Purdy is better than Jimmy Garoppolo at the end of the day or not. I think he already is, but I'm curious how it's going to play out on the big stage because there is a big discrepancy at quarterback here. There is a big discrepancy at quarterback, but if you look at most other positions, you would give the 49ers a, lot, a nod. Obviously, the playmakers, you'd give the 49ers yes. a nod because, you know, uh, it's not even close except for Kelsey. Um, and, and, and everything, I, I'm, I'm kind of braced for two weeks of this because it is so similar to a game from a couple of years ago, and it's such familiar opponents. I really wanted to be talking about, you know, Frank Ragnow and I'm on Ross St. Brown and some of these other guys right now. But let's not forget, okay, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with Brock Purdy is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. He can do things out of structure. He can improvise. Garoppolo was not really strong at all those things. You know, Garoppolo did not have Christian McCaffrey and Brandon Ayuk, right? right? right. But like, there's some of these things like that was not as good a 49ers team. This is a stronger 49ers team. And I think it's a slightly weaker Chiefs team. And like, like those little differences, like, hey, you know what? Uh, Tyree Kill's not the Chiefs anymore. That's kind of a thing. You know, Christian McCaffrey's on the 49ers. That's kind of a thing. And, and maybe we should be looking at some of those things or at least looking at the teams as they stand now rather than saying, well, Purdy's going to prove he's better than Garoppolo, and that's going to make him elite, and blah, 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 and we're going to do this in the, in the most like sort of like obvious and addle-headed way possible. Uh, now that the Ravens are out and the Lions are out, could we possibly see the Washington Commanders hire a guy like Ben Johnson, the OC for the Lions, and the Seattle Seahawks hire a guy like Mike McDonald, uh, the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, and fill up the two remaining coaching vacancies? I think we can. The insiders in Washington seem to be leaning on Ben Johnson being announced soon. That's from like, like well-informed people there. I have not heard as much of Seattle. You're probably hearing a lot more out of Seattle than I am. But like the time has come. Unless you're straight up looking for a 49ers assistant, which – there's a chance that the commanders might have done, but it seems to not be going in that direction. The time has come to fill these last two vacancies. Um, what do you know about both those guys? Not a whole heck of a lot. I know almost nothing about McDonald because I haven't been doing any media down there in uh, Baltimore since the days of Wink Martindale. 
Uh, Johnson, I, I'm, I've heard amazing things about him. I hear amazing things about Aaron Glenn as well. I'm impressed with what I see in the game plans because this isn't a guy who went out there and said, oh, I've got Demo Samuel and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey. This is a guy who, had, you know, I'm on Ross St. Brown and a rookie tight end, et cetera, and has found a way to manufacture offense, if you, especially if you look at the first, I would say, three quarters of that game yesterday. You get a sense of the kind, different kinds of things that, that, that Ben Johnson can do as a play caller, and let's see what else he can do in terms of being a, a leader and, and a manager of a roster. You know, it's interesting that we're talking about potentially losing a coordinator in Detroit because one of the things that Dan Campbell said, that that was pretty poignant and very accurate after the game, is he said he's fully cognizant of the fact that he took this big gamble uh, at a time where they might not get back to this game. Like, he was fully cognizant of that. He's like, you know, you think the progress is linear and you're going to get back here again because you're a team on the rise, but... He said it's going to be doubly as hard to get back to this spot. And it was really hard to get here in the first place. Uh, do you see the Lions built up for long-term success or repeat kicks at the can here, or might this just be a blip? They are built for that. I don't have their cap situation in front of me, but I know it was good. They're full of young players. And you can look at I, – I, I don't know if I wrote about it this week or if I thought I was going to write about it this week, but if you add one more edge rusher, you take mm-hmm. Aiden Hutchinson – and you put an edge rusher on the other side of him so you can't just run away from Hutchinson. That changes the entire dynamic of that team. And if you look at free agency right now, Daniel Hunter is out there and Bryce Huff is out there and Josh Allen, the pass rusher, is out there. And, and so many other guys that you could add in free agency probably won't even have to break the bank for some of the older guys. And you can instantly upgrade there. You say, boy, Jameson Williams, he drops a lot of deep passes. Let's try to find a different receiver. You could add, I don't know, you could throw OBJ out there and see if he's got anything left, or you can draft the guy. So many ways the Lions can go. But Dan Campbell is right. It's harder now. It's going to be a first-place schedule. Teams are going to be, like, looking the scheme against you. If this was the easiest step, from now on, retaining this becomes a very tricky proposition for him. The beginning of two weeks of uninterrupted Super Bowl previews. I love it. Mike, oh. thank you very much for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Monday. Absolutely. Take care. Enjoy your week. YouTube, thanks. That's Mike Tanier, our NFL insider from The Messenger, a presentation of the Clayton Public House here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So the Washington Commanders, it has seemed like for a while now that they've really had their targets set on Ben Johnson the not the former sprinter, the current offensive coordinator. I bet for, he'd do a good job too for the Detroit Lions. Yeah, maybe. Um, the Seahawks news seems to have been a lot more closely held to the vest. Like they've talked to a bunch of guys, and you know, obviously Dan Quinn's name is out there. Not the former hockey player, the current defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and he still is. He didn't get fired, right? Like, he still is the, the defense coordinator for uh, the Detroit Lions. Um, Mike McDonald, the D.C. for the Baltimore Ravens, is a name that's been out there. But I do wonder if John Schneider definitely wants to go with a defensive head coach or if he wants to switch it up after the years of Pete Carroll, and bring in more of a dynamic offensive mind. So this morning, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network confirmed that both McDonald and Johnson are going to interview for both head coaching jobs in both Seattle and Washington. So my impression, again, as a very novice NFL analyst, I don't even like using that word, really. Uh, oh, by the way, they put our, and I didn't realize they were putting our uh, NFL locks of the week on Instagram now. Oh, I'm sure. If the you thought have been the great. comments on X were bad, 
gambling Instagram does not care for our analysis. Yeah. I don't know if they get the bit. I don't really care because I turned off the comments. But yeah. um, anyway, back to this. Um, it does seem as though with Seattle, at least in terms of what I've read, is that they are it's, it's just a very thorough search do the old no stone left unturned as opposed to uh we're keeping everything close to the vest no it's out there they're interviewing they're just they're gonna go through every single interview imaginable now the rub with that is that casual idiots like us are like oh seems as though they can't make a definitive choice they, they don't know who they want they're, inter- they're they're talking to too many people mm-hmm. right as opposed to being like Vrabel's our guy go get him or Dan Quinn, bring them back home, right? Right. And people like that. It's a sense of comfort when you have a clear, definitive choice and you know exactly who you want as your next head coach. Like when the Canucks were like, we're going to get Jim Benning. Trevor, go get him. Right. I remember the time I'm like... Worked out amazingly. They targeted him and they knew what they wanted. Scout-based GM. What could go wrong? (laughs) By the way, I'm just imagining those uh, Instagram comments about our locks of the week. Be like, it's almost like these guys put no thought into these picks whatsoever. Did they just like pick them in the commercial break before the segment? And be like, yep. No, we did it in the five minutes before the show. (laughs) This guy's doing the Costanza approach. And you know what? The Costanza approach worked because those Detroit Lions had a backdoor cover, they covered that plus seven. And I was proven right. Yeah, uh, I made people rich. Yeah. Well, that, that was one of the more underrated moments of the weekend, by the way. It was not, and not a lot of people. The backdoor had, cover. Yeah. Backdoor. Yeah. Just it, they knew, they knew that Jason had a lot on the line with his yeah. lock of the week there. And you know what? I, I was, I was like, uh, don't kick the field goal, yeah. please. <laughs> don't it. kick the field goal this time. We need a cover. I don't want to push. Um, so I was watching the. Um, the first of the two championship games with, you know, I, I picked the, the uh, Ravens to cover the three and a half and I'm watching it and I'm thinking, you know, when I was talking this one up, I said, Oh, I, you know, I got a lot of faith in the Ravens defense here. It's been this great unit throughout the year and their season average of points allowed was 16 and a half. There's been a lot of good defenses that went down in the playoffs, like Cleveland's Dallas's like just put up. Well, I, you know, the Ravens didn't get, torn apart by Mahomes and the Chiefs, would you say? Like, it was more... Yesterday? You're talking about yesterday. But wouldn't you say it's they more... Sort of, they, they held him to 17 points. It was a great yeah. defensive yeah, performance. Yeah, yeah. The problem it was, it was, was more the defense for the Chiefs was d- so good. That's where I think that we're yeah. probably not giving enough credit is the Chiefs' defense. They mm-hmm. played fantastic. And the key thing that they did was they had the timely turnovers. They took the ball away in situations, especially the Zay Flowers fumble at the goal line, where it was sort of momentum changing, game-defining turnovers. And that's what they needed to do. Um, the the Ravens did a fantastic job of holding 17 points. Like I was saying in the video, their season average was 16 and a half allowed, which put them tops in the NFL. They only gave up 10 to Houston uh, the previous week. So they went out and did the things they needed to do to keep Mahomes uh, from lighting up the scoreboard. The problem is that they didn't put any points on the board. And that's why I asked Tannier about, you know, how much does this fall on the shoulders of Lamar Jackson? And you saw it at at the end of the game, it turned into playground football with him, where it was, Mm -hmm. we're going for it on every fourth down, run around and make some plays, make things happen because we need to rack up points quickly. They abandoned the run game, which was a stunner to me because in that previous game against uh, Houston, it was 10-10 going into halftime. It was... uh, it 
Didn't feel like a tight game, but the score made it a tight game. And the Ravens just stuck with the run. They're like, we're just going to continue to pound the rock here. Mm. And we're going to let our defense do its thing. They got away from it. And that was one of the many things that got away from the Ravens. Uh, Their collective heads got away from them. There was some real lack of discipline out there, which we've talked about as well. The Vancouver Canucks don't play again until February 6th, which is next Tuesday. So that's a lot of time to fill uh, talking Canucks. But we, there are some storylines. Um, a lot of them surround Pedersen, whether or not um, he'll have any conversations along with his reps with the Canucks during this break. It is time off. I know PD does have all-star responsibilities, but they're going to Toronto and all the power brokers have offices in Toronto. Um the Canucks also need to figure out who PD's line mates are going to be as they head down the stretch and into the playoffs. Um, is it the lotto line? Probably not. And if it isn't, it can't really be Mikheyev and Kuzmenko, can it? We'll discuss that with Randeep Janda coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.